0: we <laughs>
1: Eastern Kentucky University with the football team, and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. All right. Deep voices. Football. (laughs) Thick necks. Caleb, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm Well, you're, you're an English major, too. Criminal justice, <laughs> close to Criminal tonight. justice, yeah. okay. Smart football players at Eastern Kentucky. I like to hear that. Well, we are uh, broadcasting today with the Eastern Kentucky football team uh, to highlight some of the community service these guys do, uh, not only here in Richmond, Kentucky, but a- across the planet. I hear that there was uh, a mission trip to Haiti, and Caleb, uh, you were part of that.
2: Yes, it was. Uh, this is the second time we've been to Haiti. Uh, last year we went kind of as an exploratory trip. Our team has been sponsoring an orphan there. His name's uh, Steven. and um, every year, every, like every week, we take up a donation and we send it down there as part of his monthly uh, you know, donations. As far as helping him with his schoolwork and getting the stuff he needs, and this year we went down as a group for a second time to do more of a construction project. We're building onto the orphanage there. It's part of the Hands and Feet Ministry in Jock Mill, so. Uh, did a lot of work down there and built a new addition uh,
1: as an apartment complex as some of the kids age out in the program need a place to stay. So you you're building an addition onto an orphanage do you know how to build construct no. I mean two by fours drywall what are you doing stacking bricks? Well luckily uh, we were just there to do the foundation
2: so uh, we took out these you know giant boulders out of the ground with pickaxes and big metal rods and uh, it was a lot of hard work we we're out there for four or five days for, you know, eight hours. But it was amazing seeing some of the guys out there that do this every day for a living. They're not even sweating, and they work a lot smarter than we do. We're out there just trying to be strong and hurting ourselves, (laughs) throwing our backs out. But um, we did a lot of good work while we were down there, and the construction crew said that we sped them up probably about four or five weeks into what they were doing. So it's going to be great looking back in the future to see, uh, you know, was like, hey, we were a part of that and seeing the way the orphanage has changed.
1: In that second trip down to Haiti, did you get to see Stephen again?
2: Yes, we did. And uh, it's good to see him. And uh, he uh, he's growing up. And uh, it's fun to play with the kids. That was one of the cool things we got to do is, uh, you know, seeing Stevenson and playing with him. Um, it was like you come home from a long day at work. It's kind of like how Coach talks about the authentic man. You know, you go, you go to work, you work hard, you come home, you still got to play with the kids. And even though you're tired, but uh, we come out and play soccer. And, you know, some of the guys, especially Burgie love soccer a lot and they'll be out there just uh, going as hard as they can and then we'd sleep and get up early and go to work again.
1: does Steven uh, have a chance through technology to follow the football team at all during your season? Um, is there any kind of internet connection or I know there's a, a Facebook
2: page for the orphanage and uh, we're able to keep up with Stevenson and the other uh, kids there I mean there's opportunities to sponsor several kids at the orphanage. Um, In addition to Stevenson, if people want to, you can find that out on the Hands and Feet website. But, I mean, they'll usually post something, you know, every couple weeks or once a month, just
1: an update on how he's doing. And, uh, you know, Coach will tell us stuff about how he's doing as well. All right, well, I'm going to check that out. Hands and Feet. I'll Google Hands and Feet and look toward the uh, Eastern Kentucky Football Squad's mission work with the kids in orphanages in Haiti. Caleb, what's your last name? Hodgson. Caleb, Caleb Hodgson? Hodgson. Caleb Hodgson, in what position? Tight end. Tight end, which is the most important position on the team, right? Of course. You've got to do both. You've got to block and catch. Exactly. Right? (laughs) right. Okay, before I let you go, your best memory uh, as a player. Tight end. Give me a big-time winning touchdown story. Uh, I don't have one, so... (laughs) uh... (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you know what? The the mission story was paramount. We'll, we'll work on the football stories as uh, as the season progresses. Work, work get progress. me get back to me when you score that touchdown. We'll bring you'll we'll bring you back on the air. All right. Sounds All right. good. Let's great job, Caleb. Let's have a round of applause for Caleb. <laughs> Thank you so much for hosting The Adam Ritz Show, Eastern Kentucky University.
0: Send your questions, comments, or concerns to The Adam Ritz Show by emailing adam
1: at adamritz.com. Okay, welcome back to The Adam Ritz Show. I'm Adam Ritz, and our special guest is Chris Herron. Hi, Chris.
3: Hi, good to be here.
1: I'm so happy to have you on the show. I've heard so much about you. Our guests, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, our listeners have as well. For the few listeners that don't know... Uh, who you are and what you do, former NBA player and star with a a personal story of addiction, and you are now sharing that story across the country. We've seen it on ESPN 30 for 30, and uh, you are the featured keynote speaker at events all across the country, including the Circle of Hope event here in Indianapolis. And uh, I know we're all happy to have you here in Indy. Uh, How's it been for you traveling the country, the response
3: you're getting with what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're teaching with your mission? You know, the response has been great. I mean, I think it's, you know, the response really tells you how much it's needed. And that's the beauty of it, you know, that you walk into these high schools and you do your speech or these college campuses and you realize how many kids need somebody to talk to or need somebody to lean on because, you know, if you hold my phone, um, two hours, three hours afterwards, it doesn't stop buzzing with emails and, and letters from kids saying, you know, I've been there, done that, and thank you for coming to my school. So, it's, uh, it's, it's extremely rewarding, um, something that I'm very grateful for. You've been given
1: the, the platform, really the national platform, international platform, as an NBA player. Hmm. Uh, how much has that
3: really fed into how you can reach a, a college kid or a high school kid? You know, I think it just gives me a little bit of credibility walking through the door. Um, you know, kids might say, oh, well, I'm going to pay attention because we got an NBA basketball player here today. Um, but I think once they hear the story, they realize it's much more about addiction than it is basketball.
1: And when you were going through the, uh, I guess, beginning stages of recognizing that you had a, a problem with addiction, um, and again, it was, uh, it was hardcore. This was, we're talking heroin. This isn't uh, a couple DUIs. Um, I guess what was the signature
3: moment, that rock bottom that people talk about for you? Oh, well, gosh, every day's rock bottom in heroin. Um, there is no day you wake up feeling good about yourself. Every day is feels like your last day. And, um, you know, there were so many of them. There were so many signs where it could have been that last day, but it took for me going home relapsing after the birth of my third child um, and, you know, the letdown on my wife's face and my children uh, – You know, that when I went back to treatment, a a gentleman told me never to contact him again. I should just pretend I'm dead and let them live. And uh, that was the moment that I decided, you know, I'm going to turn this thing around, and that's the last day, you know, that I've, uh, I've had to use.
1: Chris Heron is our guest, um, a national featured speaker on the. Uh, I guess what would you say the topic
3: is uh, addiction in general, or heroin abuse, or uh, it's a lot of topics. You know, it's it's about choices. It's about your childhood. It's about your college years. It's about how one decision you make can flip your life upside down. Um, you know, I try to explain to the kids that the, you know, no drug addict starts off with crack and heroin. They all start off with marijuana and beer, hiding from their parents. Um, And I want to relay that message to kids that, you know, uh, nobody aspires, nobody sets out to become, you know, a junkie or a prostitute. Um, They start off just like the kids in front of me, sitting in a seat, listening to people talk and and send their message, but feel that it would never be them. So, you know, it it hits a lot of angles, um, the talk. It's a snowball effect, you're right, it's not
1: just one decision, you know, they can lead to many, many more decisions and worse decisions. Uh, when you speak with professional athletes, yeah. is, the, um, is the message the same as when you speak to a 14-year-old uh, freshman in high school?
3: Well, I, I won't focus so much on my early years as I would if I'm in an NFL locker room. It would be, you know, focused more on my collegiate years and my, and my professional experience and what can happen. Um, so the message changed, it, you know, it kind of goes both ways. I unfortunately am not the type uh, to really prep myself for something like this because it comes from my soul. It's not something that I want to sound that I'm pitching. It's my story and, you know, that's the best I can do with it. And I I say it with passion and I say it with humility um, and hopefully uh, reach one of them in that room. What's been the most rewarding part of your mission to date? Um, the most rewarding part of my mission to date through my recovery process is, is watching my children recover. There is no better feeling in the world than watching my kids get sober with me. Um, that is the, the, mo- the greatest gift a, a parent can get. So That's fantastic. Chris Heron is our guest, and um,
1: I want to talk real quick about your Purple uh, initiative. Tell yeah. us about that.
3: You know, Project Purple came from a group of kids that wore purple shirts to an assembly one day, and they told me they were the sober students of the school. So um, I said to myself, if these kids can have that type of courage, I'm going to fight for them, and, and I'm going to make a stand for them and try to introduce a initiative where kids can identify themselves as uh, being proud of who they are, because kids approach me after assemblies and whisper in my ear that they are purple, you know and that's something that should be spoken loudly not whispered and unfortunately we've allowed that monster to develop for so many years because that was the culture when i was in high school that you know the cool kids get high the cool kids get drunk and the only kids who have fun are the kids that do that Um, you know what they don't understand is is the repercussions that you pay later on in your adult life for that behavior Uh, and they need to know that so um, you know, it's just—it's just trying to reach out and, and start a little bit of a movement, and, and I've had guys like Dwayne Wade and guys in the NBA who are a part of it, and uh, it's been a great experience.
1: We're speaking with Chris Heron, who was featured in uh, ESPN Thirty for Thirty, and as the rest of America watched that, um, for both information and entertainment, did you watch that? And where were you when that aired?
3: <laughs> no, I did not watch that. <laughs> I lived that, so there is no reason for me to watch that. Um, I watched, it, I, sh- I watched it once with my children, uh, about four weeks before it aired. And I wanted to sit down with them and let them see what was about to go on national TV. And it was a, the greatest gift that I could receive. It was a healing moment for me, for my children. It was something that we were able to get past and, and, and overcome. Um, so I thank ESPN for that, for that. In itself was enough for me um, to sit there and cry with my kids and to and to start the healing process and moving forward.
1: Well, we're f- certainly happy that you're able to share the story and help other people. Real quick, how can we get in touch with you with Twitter and Facebook or any other uh, digital
3: opportunities? Oh, Twitter. Twitter's. Um, I'm not a big fan of Facebook, uh, but Twitter is c underscore heron is a way to get me. Um, I, uh, you know, if you follow the, you know, you were talking about what's what's the greatest uh moment of this process is that you know if you follow me after a high school talk and see the kids kind of tell on themselves throughout the twitter feed is pretty amazing you know kids are willing to say hey i'm going to change or i need to change and that's pretty wild so That's fantastic. Thank you, Chris, so much for your time. I appreciate it. No worries. Get socially
0: technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. Get social technically.
1: Thanks again for listening to The Adam Ritz Show. We have a lot of fun talking about social awareness and philanthropy, community service, and leadership as well. And we bring on uh, board now a leadership expert. This is Jesse Lyons. Hi, Jesse. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you all doing? Doing great. The southern accent, I love it. You're a southern gentleman. You are, uh, I guess, an executive member of the National uh, Office of Kappa Alpha Order, which is a Greek life fraternity, uh, national fraternity. And what is your role with uh, the Kappa Alpha Order?
4: Right now, I'm director of communications and editor of our national magazine.
1: Okay, and before we get into uh, student leadership and what you do to help uh, this next generation of young men become better men, um, what is your background? I love the accent. I, I just say, say uh, hey, thanks for listening to The Adam Ridge Show. Hey! Thanks for listening to the Adam Rich Show. That's just you know. I just love that Southern gentleman accent. I love it. Now, where are you from? Where'd you go to college? Oh, well, I'm
4: originally from Western North Carolina, and I went to Western Carolina University. I've been on staff for Cap Alpha now for twelve years, and for a number of those years, I started uh, new chapters and did expansions. So. Whenever I went out west or whenever I went up north and started chapters, I would always lay this accent on thicker than right now. And it would work. Everybody would join. <laughs> Their people would be clamoring to join. I'd speak to the sororities. They'd say, I'd say, you're going to get all these good gentlemen. They're going to join.
1: And they loved it. So it's, uh, it's worked for us, but uh, it's, it's who we are. So. Well, that Southern gentleman in you as is a, is a K.A. undergrad at Western Carolina uh, was so such a big part of your life, you decided to make that your vocation. So you've been 12 years with the national organization. Uh, tell us about leadership, not only from, I guess, your uh, organization's point of view, but from, from your point of view, from, from Jesse Lyons' point of view. Leadership, how important is that for a young man?
4: Uh, it's, it's paramount. Um, every young man, whether they know it or not, and including me when I was there, and I can look back to them, every young man wants and needs to be led. Um, in the right direction and if not they'll either be not led or led in the wrong direction and so ethical leadership good leadership um, well-meaning leadership from peers from mentors maybe someone that's a little bit older or a lot older or even from someone that's just in their class next to them or their roommate need to be led and it's not always led like in the sense of an army or led at a chapter meeting although those are important but led in hey, let's make this decision or let in, hey, let's, let's not do that. Let's go over here and have some fun over here. Let's, let's make some better decisions than we could be in a way that's cool, in a way that fits, in a way that isn't off-putting to someone as an 18- to 22-year-old that has everything at their disposal um, and all the right choices and
1: wrong choices in their, in their lap. Choices, leadership, Uh, we're speaking with Jesse Lyons, the Communications Director of Kappa Alpha Order, uh, which is headquartered in Lexington, Virginia. Um, you've been with the organization 12 years, that can only lead me to believe that your leadership is going to grow even more, and you're going to be, what, the Grand Poobah? you you going, going to wear the big uh, buff- water buffalo hat like Fred Flintstone? I, that's my favorite.
4: I love to say the Lord or the water buffalo, because <laughs> everybody forgets that was one of the best ones, whether it's the Moose or the Masonic Lodge or Knights <laughs> of Columbus. Anyhow, uh, you know, I've enjoyed, I've been able to um, go a couple positions higher in K.A., but oftentimes even within my position it's because we have a good boss and a good leader and a good board and a great staff we've been able to elevate within our positions keeping the same title but doing more being responsible for more, leading more folks, and that's been a great key to staying for a number of years. It's not all about the money, like folks say. The reason for an education is to improve yourself, and if you can improve yourself without even changing jobs and it's something you love, then why do anything else? One day that'll change. One day we'll go somewhere else, uh, and uh, hopefully, yeah, have a chance to lead something, have a chance to run an organization, wherever that may be.
1: Let me ask you about leadership with uh, this demographic. You work with college men, and I know your Kappa Alpha Order, you've got a standard of, of character and gentleman lead leadership that's part of your organization anyway. You're not going to have uh, this type of gentleman that I'm going to describe to you right now. But what's your best advice on getting through to the guy that maybe isn't willing to listen to your presentation about leadership the guy in the back of the room his arms are crossed he's like this is stupid i'd rather be home texting or instagramming or playing video games i mean how do you get through to that kid well it's like with any whether it's a survey
4: or a crowd or a chapter or a group of people, there's going to be some folks up front that you can't tell them enough about leadership. And they really don't even need hair anymore, probably. They want it. They want to learn as much as possible. Then there's going to be the guys in the back like you described. They could care less about being here. Um, They may be good men, raised well, no matter what their family situation, good values, but just not into the whole presentation thing, you know. And then the guys in the middle, they need it. They don't know that they want it, but they're going to absorb it and they're going to keep working so you got to speak to each one differently you got to talk to the ones in front about how to lead the rest of their men you've got to talk to the guys in the middle about getting on board um, how do you talk to those guys that are just in the middle that are like you know i could be swayed either way uh-huh. and then how do you do two things or three things minimize the guys in the back get them on board in some way that it's their idea and now it's cool to be a leader and that that's not a strategy that's more so just a general idea or three, um, get rid of them, and I mean, I mean, it's it's plain and simple. You can, and a good friend of mine, Kim Novak, told me there's one, you know, there's an equation about changing organizations. You either change the attitude um, because the people are constant, and the one thing that I'd change on that is you can either change the attitude or you can change the people. And an organization wants to be the best group it can be. If it's a chapter, if it's a local community organization, and you got to temper two things. Winning all the awards at the expense of your members or raising your members up so that you can do better. And if you can do some of both, as far as making the organization better and improving your members, then you can probably do the best.
1: Jesse Lyons, thank you so much. Uh, before we let you go, tell us something about Western Carolina University. Is it, I say that right? Is it, or is it the College of Western Carolina? No, is West- it University of Western Carolina? It's WCU. Yeah, it's in the 16-member
4: organization of the UNC system. Started out, it's actually 100, I've got three things to tell you. Cause I three don't things, like, okay. I don't like to tell just one. I'll be like, honest, I don't know anything about it. I'm so. a list guy, so, and that you know, works pretty good for magazine. But 125 years old this year. Wow. 125 years old. My fraternity's turning 150 next year. That's pretty venerable, if I, say, if I say so. But Western Carolina's 125 years old. For many years, it was Western Carolina Teachers College. So your fraternity was on campus 25 years before the college started? No, it was on campus elsewhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, then, and then the country folk of Western North Carolina got some education in them, and they're, and they're in good shape. But it's, it's, regional, it's changed the region of Western North Carolina, North Georgia, Eastern Tennessee. But uh, Western Carolina Teachers College put out lots of teachers, lots of nurses, started as a normal school, a high school is what they used to call it, and then it became a university. Number two, it's in Cullowee, North Carolina. Cullowee is Cherokee for Valley of the Lilies, and it is not even an incorporated town. It's just a village. And the third thing is it's one of only two schools that I'm aware of that are the Catamounts as their mascot, Vermont and Western Carolina. And a Catamount's a mountain lion or a mountain cat. They used to be in the area, and they're pretty much extinct now.
1: I feel so much better knowing the catamounts are in the Valley of the Lilies, and it's 125 years old. You bet. That's how it goes. All right. Jesse Lyons uh, from Kappa Alpha Order, thank you, sir, so much for joining us on the broadcast. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for all you do for K.A. and everyone else.
0: You can catch up with the Adam Ritz Show online. Podcasts of recent shows, including this one, can be found at adamritzshow.com. Like us on Facebook at Facebook slash Adam
1: Ritz Show, or follow at Adam Ritz on Twitter. We are in Pullman, Washington, on the campus of Washington State University with head coach, head women's basketball coach, June Doherty. Hello, June. How are you?
5: Hey, good afternoon. I'm doing great.
1: And we are not here to talk about sports or basketball, although I might squeeze a basketball story out of you later. But we're here to talk about your work with um, a social issue, a heart health issue. Uh, What are you involved with from a heart health uh, social perspective?
5: Well, first of all, let me tell you that I'm a cardiac arrest survivor. Six years ago, my heart completely stopped one afternoon, and I was actually uh, dead. And fortunately for me, 11 cardiologists from the, from the Everett Heart Clinic happened to be about 40 feet from my car. My daughter ran out to ask for help. They came out in the rain in Seattle, and with defibrillators, they were able to save my life. And you were dead? Yeah, I was gone. I was gone for the count. The, in fact, the uh, the EMTs are, uh, answered the call from Everett as well. Uh, they had shocked me four times. I did not come back. Uh, they asked the cardiologist to go ahead and call it at the scene, you know, to, to say she's deceased. And he, uh, he had done some work with me earlier, and he said she's got a strong heart. She's an athlete. There's no way. And he just kept going. And on the seventh time of being shocked with a portable defibrillator, I came back and was revived.
1: What was the scenario where you happen to be that close to all of that equipment were you just going for a checkup um, what if you had been on the on the 18th green
5: yeah no I was just so I exactly that I was into a routine doctor's appointment just a little bit of follow-up and uh, uh, fortunately my daughter that day ha- did not feel well did not go to school she' was 13 at the time and she asked if she could stay with me that day and uh, you know so she happened to be in the car with me and that's when I had my arrest and uh, she turned to me and looked and, and I was totally gone and, and, you know, ran into the clinic, like I said earlier. And uh, fortunately for, for myself, that the, the cardiologist knew that I was a strong athletic person and that my heart shouldn't be in a situation where it cannot be revived, and he, st- he stayed with me.
1: And as, a, as head women's basketball coach here at, at Washington State University and a former uh, player at Ohio State, you you'd said you're an athlete. How much did that play into, uh, I guess, your heart health? Um, Did the doctors tell you if you weren't a former athlete, if you were obese or if you were um, an unhealthy eater or any other of those factors, would this have happened way earlier or way more extreme? I don't know how it could have been more extreme. I mean, you were dead. But
5: (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, you have to understand, in women's, uh, the study of women in heart disease, it's the number one killer of women in the United States. It's seven times more prevalent then breast cancer, diabetes, any of those. I think that shocks people to even hear that, that that's the number one killer of women in the United States. Um, the, the, the research in women and cardiac deaths and just cardiac disease only started about 12 years ago. So they don't have a lot of answers to why we are having as many, as many health problems as, and issues as, as we are having with heart disease. Um, that's why you know, people have to get behind the American Heart Association and, and, and donate money to Hope Heart and, and sudden cardiac arrest and any of those agencies that are out there trying to find the answers so that the next generation doesn't have, doesn't have the high statistical rate of death because of heart disease in women.
1: June Doherty is our guest, um, head women's basketball coach at Washington State University, and a cardiac arrest survivor. Your work with uh, heart health and, and heart—you were telling me off off mike about the work you do with kids, with elementary school kids. Tell us some of those statistics.
5: Well, I think one of the things that every parent out there has to understand, and you know, we hope that your your kids are active and in sports or enjoying just being on the playground, playing recess. You know, that that's so important for their health to to, to be healthy hearts as young people but one of the number one killers of young children is cardiac arrest and we see more cardiac arrests on playgrounds in elementary, junior high and obviously high schools than we see anywhere else in the country. Unfortunately for us right now a lot of states do not mandate that there are defibrillators in schools and because of that we lose a lot of kids we lose about about ten to fifteen kids a day in the united states because we are we're not able to revive them quick enough several times it's just heartbreaking to know that if there was a defibrillator close by there's about a four to five minute window those young people could have been saved so uh... you know huge advocate of getting defibrillators in the schools and for parents to know that most of the time that the elementary schools that they their kids are in are not as safe as a kid being in a mall, a casino, or even in an airplane because all three of those areas actually have defibrillators mandated to be in, in the area. So it's a four-minute window when you have a cardiac arrest, heart attack, so some kind of action where your heart stops. And that, that four minutes can go pretty fast if you don't have a defibrillator close by. Close by.
1: I'm going to ask you a question you've probably been asked a, a thousand times, and, and I'm going to be the thousand and first. <laughs> when, do, What do you remember about that day when you went into cardiac arrest and you were uh, pronounced dead? Um, was there a light? Uh, yeah. Did no, you? Would you? Yeah, no, do about, are, are psychics yeah. trying to get in touch with you to find out what you know about the other side?
5: Yeah, you know, I, I tr- truly have been asked that a lot, and it's a curious question for uh, for everybody. But the only way I can answer to to be honest with you is, um, I ended up in the hospital for eight days, and I had short term memory loss from the whole situation. So I remember actually being in the parking lot close to the cardiac cardiologist unit. And my daughter being with me. And the next thing I can remember is being in the hospital and being surrounded by my family, my friends, and teammates and asking, who are we here to see? So there's, you know, there's a big lag for those eight days of memory loss. Uh, so as far as I know, I, I didn't see any lights. I didn't have I- any voices, I think. But I can tell you, wherever I was, it was very peaceful. A- and, and that's about all that I, that I can truly tell you that I remember from that day.
1: That is just that is amazing. What an amazing story. We thank you for your work with with uh, heart health uh, awareness and consciousness, with defibrillators in school, all the, all the charity work you do. Are there uh, foundation websites or Facebook pages maybe we can look up some of this stuff you work with? Or?
5: Just go to the American Heart Association and and, and Google it. Look it up and, and find out. And Go ask your principal, do, it, do you have a defibrillator in my school, you know, for whatever level your children are at because often and not there, there isn't one. And that four minutes is that precious window. And like I said, we're losing 10 or 15 kids a day in the United States on playgrounds because we don't have defibrillators that could save their lives.
1: Well, before I let you go, let's uh, turn up the heat and have some fun here with uh, head coach of women's basketball at Washington State University, June Doherty. We thank you for your time, and let's have uh, some fun with maybe one of your best memories either as a player at Ohio State University or as a coach here at Washington State.
5: Uh, a lot of great memories. You know, I, I've been so fortunate to have great coaches and great teammates and being in a very positive situation. I actually had a player when I coached at University of Washington who had a cardiac arrest and came back and – and. uh our team had to go back and, and play a basketball game two days after she had her arrest and was in a coma. Uh, yeah, and it was the most amazing thing to see our team go down and play USC. And we ended up in a double overtime game. Our kids had been up for, for 48 hours. The staff had been up for 48 hours just trying to deal with Kayla and help her, her through her situation. But uh, I, I've never seen. You know, statistically, we lost every stat on that game. Field goal percentage steals, turnovers, rebounds. But we won the game. And it was one of the most amazing feelings to see both teams come together at half court and, and embrace each other and, and look up to the sky and say, this one was for Kayla, thank the Lord.
1: Was this before or after your cardiac arrest? It
5: was actually about five years before mine. And actually, and Kayla actually stayed in the hospital with me when I had my arrest. As soon as she heard about it, she drove to the hospital, she stayed with me, she helped uh, uh, you know, with my family and uh, obviously with, with my doctors and the choices that had to be been made throughout the eight days when I was unconscious
1: and you guys are you're now your heart sisters forever
5: we, we are we are <laughs> we're, we're two two uh, very very close individuals she she actually works for Hope Heart in Seattle and is making a huge difference in, in raising awareness and funds for healthy hearts and women and she's also an, e, an EMT so I'm, I'm just super proud of her